Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you by Manscaped. Thanks to listener participation over the last several months, Manscaped has been kind enough to sponsor the podcast. As long as people continue using our promo code SUNNYNKC to get 20% off their entire orders. So thanks to everyone who's helped us out so far. Uh, this is incredible. Check out this suggested intro for the ad read. With live sports being back, it's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. So our partners at Manscaped want to make sure your Nuggets are safe as possible when they meet the Clippers. Ah, what wordplay, that's great. But for real, it's been amazing to be partners with them. I've been super impressed with their products. Per their ad copy, Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their lawnmower trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slash-tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code SUNNYNKC at manscaped.com and take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. What are your issues with FedEx? Oh my God, do I have issues with FedEx. It has been a nightmare. I don't know if you saw, I tweeted um, last week, it was wet. So I bought a new TV on Thursday and I got an email Friday morning that said, hey bro, your new TV is coming today. And I'm like, well, okay, that's insane. But <laughs> I'll, I'm down for it. I was working from home, you know, no big deal. And it says you got to be there to sign for it. So I'm like, there's no way this thing's coming today. So by like three o'clock in the, in the afternoon, I refreshed the tracking page and it says tomorrow, Saturday, by the end of the day. So it had updated to push it a day back. And I'm like, sure. all right, yeah, yeah, that's that's totally reasonable. I It was four day ground shipping. So like the whole the whole process was crazy. So then Saturday comes around and I'm, you know, I'm fired up. I'm going to get a big new TV, going to watch some football on it for Sunday. It's, it's going to be great. And so I, I posted on Twitter because I got a confirmation email that said Friday, the, um, the confirmation email, when I click on the link to track it through the website said Saturday. And then when you click like status of this package, it said Wednesday, the next Wednesday. So I was all... (laughs) which is today. And it, I was all thrown off and it gave me three different dates for this thing to come, but I'm supposed to sign for it. Cause it's a big TV. So I'm like, I mean, I'm working from home and I don't go very many places or whatever. Like it's fine, but I was curious. So then Saturday about 5 PM rolls around and I call FedEx cause I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. Can I go somewhere? What's going on? It said by the end of the day. And so they're like, Oh, it's definitely coming tonight. It said it was, it's on its way. I can see the scan from out of Louisville or whatever. Like it's, it's so gonna, human it's voice confirmed human that it was I, on its way. Correct. I talked to someone. They're like, just chill. It, 8, 8 PM is usually when the end of the shipping and it was at seven o'clock. So they're like, so you'll probably see it in an hour. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna call you guys in an hour if it's not here. So I <laughs> call them at eight o'clock and the person that answers is like, Oh yeah, they, they stopped shipping at eight. So you'll see it tomorrow then. I'm like, on Sunday. okay. I mean, yeah, right. I was like, Oh, okay. I guess. I mean, do you guys ship on Sunday? And they said, yeah, absolutely. Seven days a week till 8 PM on ground on whatever. And so I was like, okay. So they told me earlier today that they were sure it'd be here by the end of the day. No big deal. It's fine. It's, it's only been three days, no sweat. So I'm watching football on Sunday, looking out the window every time a big truck drives by or something. And, and, you know, it doesn't show up. I call around two in the afternoon. I'm like, Hey, do you guys know where this package is? And they're like, Oh, it said it scanned in Lenexa at midnight today. So it's definitely, if you're in Overland park, it's going to get there. Like, you know, like it'll be there. Yeah. They're, they're right next to you. I could. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's been, you know, in 
within 10 minutes of my house for the last 12 hours, but no sweat. I'll, uh, I'll wait it out, you know? And so Sunday gets five, six o'clock. I call them back. Now FedEx has this thing where if you've already called in for the same tracking number multiple times, they instantly escalate, which is cool. Some, some companies make you go through the hoops every single time you call. But the first person that answered, they're like, Hey, I'm in the escalation department. What's going on? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, I've been calling several times about this package. I'm supposed to be here to sign for it. It's now on day three. I have no idea where it is. Can you tell me where it is? And the guy's like, uh, yeah, let me get the tracing department on the line that, that has like the GPS locations of all this. So I'm like, sweet. So he puts me on hold for about a half an hour. He comes back and he's like, man, I can't get a hold of them. Um, it's Sunday. They're uh-huh. crazy. If you haven't seen it today, it's probably going to be there tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, I so mean, you've been telling me for days. Exactly. Like I, I, it's, it's fine. I'm not, it's not medicine. It's not something that I'm dying to get, you know, but I'm like, I just, I got to be here to sign for this damn package. And you guys, so he's like, I, I understand, sir. Um, it says it was in Lenexa at midnight today and you know, now it's the end of the day. So I'm sure they were just slammed. Um, it'll be here, you know, tomorrow. So I'm like, okay, are you just guessing it'll be here tomorrow? Or is it actually going to be here tomorrow? So anyway, so Monday, of course, now I'm heated. Now it doesn't even matter about how long it's been. It's just that they it's the principle of things. It's the principle. So then I get up Monday morning, like a kid on Christmas waiting for my TV and the day ticks on. I call several times. I get the escalation department every time, every time they bullshit me and tell me, oh, it's, <laughs> it's right around the corner. It's, you know, I, I can see the truck from here. I mean, you know, just complete, complete lies. And so eventually Tuesday, yesterday we're recording this Wednesday night Tuesday I call him in the morning and I'm like look I just can I go pick it up somewhere can you if, if <laughs> yeah, you know right. what facility it is can I just drive there and give him my tracking number and drive home with my tv that I already paid for and they're like oh no you you can't do that at all like it's going to be on a pallet it's going to be all pa- taped up with other boxes and stuff like there's just no way and so I'm like, okay, so do you know where it is? And they're like, no, we, it's a mess. I don't know, Latham. Literally, I got this lady that said she was the vice president of client relations with FedEx. And she's like, I'm going to be honest with you, man. You're not going to like what I'm going to tell you. Like, no one has any idea where any packages are right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And she's like, she's like, the Olathe office is one of the most slammed, understaffed, overworked offices in the region. And you're like the thousandth person that's called this weekend wanting to know where their package is. And I'm like, well, this what? is very troubling. Does Patrick Mahomes know about this? <laughs> well, he's going to after this. Welcome in, everybody. It's always sunny in Chief's Kingdom. I'm Austin. I am frustrated, Taylor. Taylor's frustrated, but I'm back, baby, and it's good to be back. Yes, welcome back to the show, Austin. We I've missed you. Yes, thank you. Uh, big props to Sam Hayes, who was our guest uh, for last week. He filled in with Taylor. That's the first time I have not appeared on my own show. Uh, <laughs> it was good. It was a good episode. Uh, unfortunately, Taylor, about half of what you guys talked about ended up not being relevant because uh, after you guys reported last Wednesday, Cam Newton got the COVID and he tested positive and the game got postponed and it got moved to Monday night and the Patriots quarterback was Brian Hoyer. And then it was Jarrett Stidham. And we got to talk about all of that because it was a crazy, crazy week. 
Before we do that, though, Taylor, I do have something serious that I want to talk about. Um, got some really sad news a couple of weeks ago um, from one of our Birds of War who was asked to remain anonymous. Uh, he has been diagnosed with leukemia, and this is a guy who uh, is in his 20s and otherwise completely healthy, and so he reached out to me, just sent me a DM, and just uh, wondered if we could say something on the show, and listen, man, uh, we obviously, like, this has been a horrible year in a lot of ways. I can't imagine um, getting that news, and we're behind you 100%. We just wanted to uh, put that in the show, encourage our listeners to go to a website, bethematch.org. So you guys, leukemia, I guess, uh, requires bone marrow transplants, and that uh, the big challenge there is getting matches for that. And so um, anybody that can go to that website maybe contribute something there, or even to American Cancer Society, all those other organizations that do great work with that. Man, guys, it's been a it's been a tough year. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. Um, but just uh, keep our birds of war and your thoughts and prayers for those of you that uh, that do that. Um, let's get into this. Let's get into this news, Taylor. Let's talk some football because let's be honest. After the week that we all had last week, after the year that we've had, and it was it was great to get a football game in on Monday, was it not? Yeah, I mean, and especially uh, Chiefs Patriots, which despite the quarterback changes, has still has a lot of juice, still has a lot of fun you know the Andy Reid Bill Belichick chess match is as good as it gets and uh yeah it was you know after the one day postponement good thing it didn't last more than that so we still had a normal week between our Monday night football against the Ravens and Monday night football against the Patriots what was that like for you before we get into this game just on Saturday morning like what <laughs> just kind of just walking Wild through kind of how, how that all kind of went down for you yeah I mean uh woke up um not sure if I remember specifically what time that news broke. I think it was by the time I woke up Saturday morning. Yeah, it was I, about 11 o'clock Arrowhead time, I think. Oh, it okay. Was about, so I think I, it was about 10 o'clock my time in the mountains. So I had been up, but I mean, it was still morning time. And um, and I just remember on Twitter seeing several people retweet Schefter immediately. And, um, you know, my first thought as a selfish Chiefs fan was sweet, you know, no cam, yep. easy win, good situation. Same. Um, and then you kind of start to to think about all the implications because, yes, of, the because implication. of the implication and it's it's a mess. It's a giant mess. And it's something that we talked about before the season, um, what it would be like if a star quarterback gets COVID, because obviously there was a Nick Foles scare, I think it was or or oh, and Foles wasn't even the starter. So oh, Matt but Stafford went on Stafford the COVID went list, on the list for uh, a day or two. And then yep. and I think it was a false positive, maybe. And uh, it was so it was it was the first test of that whole, you know, like it's not a practice squad. It's not a offensive or defensive lineman. It's someone with a, a superstar face and, and cam is certainly that and had been extremely effective over the first couple of weeks of the year. And I was shocked. Yeah, same. And that was exactly my reaction too. And then literally like 30 seconds later, I had to issue like a, a qualification on Twitter that was like, well, actually, I mean, you know, with the, the incubation period and everything going on like that, like this is actually pretty scary. Are we going to be playing a game or not? Obviously the week had been dominated by news of the Titans uh, with all of their positive COVID tests. So we'll get into that later in the show. And obviously yeah. that's something that, that we're still dealing with here in week five, leading up to week five, there's still a lot of balls in the air about how the league is going to handle the fact that, that there are players now testing positive. And this was 
this was wild. Obviously, by Sunday morning, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, we had a pretty good indication that the game was not going to happen as scheduled. The Patriots did not travel. And the league, to their credit, did come up with a solution that seems to have worked. Now, we'll, we'll obviously, we'll put an asterisk by that until later in the week. We're recording this on a Wednesday. But the Patriots did end up returning negative tests on all the rest of their players. They flew to Kansas City in two separate airplanes, one for the people that had been around Cam in the facility. And they've got those little bracelets that do all the proximity tracking and contact tracing that they would need to do. So one plane for the people that had potentially been exposed to Cam Newton's COVID-ness, and then one plane for the ones who had not. And flew into Kansas City on Monday morning and played a game on Monday night. So the Chiefs became, I believe, just the fourth team in NFL history to play on consecutive Monday nights. They played on a national broadcast. We got another primetime shot with uh, with Tony Romo and Jim Nance on the call. And the game was as weird as the circumstances surrounding it. I mean, it just was a strange game. Yeah, super, super weird. Um, you know, the the teams, not only have they been dealing with the shifted schedule, but um, obviously with the Patriots shifting their quarterback from Cam Newton to Brian Hoyer, I, I know it's obviously a much bigger disadvantage for the Patriots, but there was certainly some some change in the way that the Chiefs approached the game with that as well. Um, you know, game planning for Cam is one thing, and then changing to basically like a Tom Brady without the skill in Brian Hoyer is an entirely different animal. And, and sure, it was an easier matchup, but it didn't seem like the Chiefs really – had their heads in the game. Some of that I'm sure um, could be attributed to all the different changes and things like that. They couldn't get to the team facility on Saturday because everyone was quarantined because of, of the positive test of Jordan Tayamu on the practice squad, um, Chiefs quarterback, third stringer. And it was just, it was a slow, sloggy start. Uh, Pat threw a near interception on the first drive and ended up stalling in the red zone and kicking a field goal. Uh, the Patriots weren't moving the ball, but the Chiefs, despite moving the ball early in the game, um, they only had a second field goal to show for it by the end of the first quarter. And then they just they just weren't sharp. They just weren't themselves. They were only 4 of 11 all game on third down, and it just seemed like um, like nobody really wanted to be there maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know um... – I know people had speculated that maybe Andy was holding back a little bit with his game plan. And we certainly didn't get, we didn't get the Baltimore Ravens game plan for this game, right? Nope. Like we, we definitely didn't get an A plus game plan all the time, but you know, the, the chiefs were trying and it felt like they had some good plays dialed up to beat the Patriots, but the, the execution just was a little bit off and you know, part of that certainly can be attributed to the fact that you're going against Bill Belichick. I wonder if, you know, he's, I'm on record as saying he's the greatest coach of all time. Most I certainly. think, I think, you know, every time the Chiefs play the Patriots, I mean, Pat has three first halves. The Chiefs have three first halves without a touchdown in the Patrick Mahomes era. And they're all against Bill Belichick and the Patriots, mm -hmm. which just goes to show you, you know, what incredible game plans they come out with. I wonder if Bill is kicking himself a little bit, like throwing some of this out there, putting some of this stuff on tape in a game that he was not going to win. Like he had to have known that he's not going to beat the chiefs in arrowhead, no matter how good his defensive game plan was with yeah. Brian Hoyer at quarterback. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, hypothesis. It's certainly a matchup that you wonder which of either of the head coaches, how much they brought and how much they 
held back for a potential the later game matchup within the down. game. Exactly. And you know that, you know, Andy and Bill have faced off so many times that they, they know each other's tricks and they, it, it's just a really fun matchup for the chiefs offense against that Patriots defense. But really on the other side of the ball, the Patriots offense against the chiefs defense is always kind of the X factor in the matchup. It's like, if the Patriots can move on the chiefs, it's going to be a game. And if the right. Patriots can't move on the chiefs, like they couldn't, on Monday, um, it's a lot more lopsided towards the Chiefs. And, boy, Brian Hoyer is just he, – he struggled. He was not good. Those two red zone plays were bad. Yeah, especially the play at the end of the first half where he thought he had a timeout and he took just an awful sack and it cost the Patriots three points, which would have tied the game, would have put them 6-6 six to six going into halftime. I mean, just an inexcusable play, yeah. especially for a veteran quarterback. And the taco sack where he lost the fumble and cost at least another three points there. That was a bad play where he held onto it too long. I mean, by the time they benched him for Stidham, it was time. He had thrown a bad pick. He had, you know, the fumble. Uh, he was he was looking awful out there. Yeah, they were able to move the ball into the red zone. But the Chiefs defense, I feel like the Chiefs defense stepped up in this game. I, yes. I mean, the energy level in all these games has been lower than what we would normally expect in a season where we have, you know, normal fans and normal prep during the week. And just yeah, how could everything be, right? is, everything is different. And especially with, you know, Cam, obviously the, the energy level is different for Brian Hoyer than it is for Cam Newton. Cam Newton's a former MVP. He <laughs> was playing at a very high level um, coming into this game. He obviously he has a completely different play style, but to the Chiefs' credit, and I think this is important. To the Chiefs' credit, they found their energy and they found their they found their A game, or at least what as much of their A game as they needed to win this game when they needed it. And I made this point on Twitter the other day, Taylor. I wanted to talk about this with you because you know I get you're going to find stuff to nitpick about almost every game that your team plays in the NFL, no matter how good your team is, right? Sure. Like. There's always plays that you can do differently. There's no such thing as a perfect game in the NFL. Yeah, we talked about all the points they left on the board against the Ravens, despite that being one of the best Chiefs games in a while. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah, and as good as the Chiefs are, and they're very, very good, they're 4-0, they've beaten four quality teams, they're going to have some games where they're not going to play their A game all the way through. And we've seen it throughout the Andy Reid era. Like we talked about it, unfortunately, in the infancy of the show when we were just going through and recapping the 2019 season, you know, games like at Tennessee last year, where a bunch of stuff goes wrong, whether it's energy or whether it's injuries, whether it's dumb penalties, you know, fluke special teams plays like like and then just going through the, the you know, Chiefs lost bingo for the Titans game that we had in that game. But the Chiefs have had some moments like that this year, and they're four and oh against four pretty good teams. And I think that shows that the chiefs have leveled up, right? Like, I think we've reached a point now where, you know, Andy Reed can, can have an off game. Patrick Mahomes can have an off game and the chiefs can still find a way to win that game, whether that be because of the defense, whether it be because of the special teams, although it certainly was not in this game, whatever it is, the chiefs are finding ways to kind of dig deep and find that killer instinct when they need it in this game it really was the defense in the second half stepping up and not even necessarily shutting the Patriots down on a play to play basis because they still had their gains on the ground, uh, you know, but the, the turnovers and especially the play in the red zone stepping up. I mean, 
bad plays by Hoyer on that sack, uh, both of the sacks, the sack by Frank Clark in the first half and the sack by Taco Charlton in the second half. I mean, bad plays by Brian Hoyer. He should have thrown that ball away. But still, you have to give credit to the Chiefs defense for making those plays Certainly. and stepping up when they needed to. And then, of course, the landlord, the honey badger, <laughs> on what should have been a pick on Jared Stidham's. I think it was his first pass. It was mm-hmm. either his first or his second pass attempt of the game. He was called for a PI in the end zone, or, or I guess it was a spot foul, like three yards shy of the end zone. It wasn't PI. No. It should have been maybe maybe a hold, maybe a hold. It was, it was a ticky-tack call. It certainly should not have been a spot foul. But they took an interception off the board for the landlord, and you knew that if, there, if the ball came to him again, he was going to make a play, and he certainly did. Julian Edelman let a ball go through his hands, and Honey Badger took it back to the house. And – you know, that's we talked about this since we started this podcast, but that's such a huge difference from the Bob Sutton defenses of 2018 and before. Like, these guys bring the juice. And even when, you know, the fans aren't there to bring the energy, you know, it's not the loudest stadium in the NFL. You got Brian Hoyer and Jarrett Stidham in at quarterback. These guys stepped up and made plays when they needed to make plays. They did. And I think that's um, that's really comes down to Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew. And it's the other guys have the energy as well, but those two additions, you saw it in the Super Bowl run. They're, they're just, they're, they're a different type of energy. And it's, you know, you mentioned earlier, the um, Pat can have an off game and Andy could maybe have an off game, but the depth of this roster to be able to ride a bunch of different performances to victory when it's not your superstar quarterback or your head coach that it's, it's just such a testament to the depth of the ability of everyone on the chiefs 53 man roster to come up with something when they need to. Um, I thought Traveris Ward had a good game against the Patriots. I thought that, you know, just a lot of guys up and down, the secondary has looked the secondary has been amazing. I mean, Juan Thornhill is back. I don't know if you know how long it took him to get back, but he is officially. And for this point on he's back and he's spectacular. Um, the safeties in general looked really good against the Patriots. And, you know, this defense there, I tweeted this earlier. There is one team in the NFL to allow fewer points per game than the chiefs right now. And that's the Colts who have played the Jaguars, Vikings, Jets, and Bears. And they're the only team giving up fewer points than the Chiefs who played the Texans, Chargers, Ravens, and Patriots. So, I mean, it's it's a joke when you have the best offense in the league and a defense that can perform like this, you know, holding teams to 20, 20, 20, and 10 in their first four games. It's been... It's just been remarkable, and they are uh, they're on fire right now. I think that I don't want to say the defense is going to be the reason that the Chiefs have a shot at. I, I keep mentioning nineteen and zero because I do think that this is as complete of a football team as I've seen since certainly since the 07 Patriots. But um, I just think that this defense is going to play a huge part in that run, and uh, they they stepped up in Week Four in a huge way. I do want to talk about briefly before we kind of move on. I do want to talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, it is a chief show after all. We got to talk about the offense. We got to talk about the offense. I I mentioned uh, the other day on Twitter, if you guys aren't familiar, we've cited it a number of times on the show, uh, but DVOA, uh, which is essentially measuring defensive and offensive efficiency. Uh, Football Outsiders has the Chiefs as the number four offense in the NFL so far this season and the number five defense. So that's opponent adjustment. They just just added those in the opponent adjustments in this week. So the Chiefs do have – they're the only team that's both in the top five, both in offense and on defense, 
unfortunately, Taylor, right now they are 32nd in special teams, which is last. That is that is 32 out of 32, which is uh, which is not where you want to be. That in part comes from them not being able to kick extra points. Uh, Harrison Bucker can kick the field goals, but he's not he's not good at the extra points. And it also has a little bit to do with the fact that the Chiefs have allowed a return touchdown. They're the only team to have allowed a return touchdown so far this year. But the offense, the offense. I mean, we talked about the play calling. I feel like the play calling was okay, and they hit some plays. I, I will say Pat looked a little uncomfortable in the pocket, which yeah. is normal for the Patriots. I mean, yeah. you know, they don't have a lot of superstar talent on their defensive line, but they're very creative with their pressures. It's not unusual for Mahomes to be a little bit uncomfortable when he goes against the Patriots and Bill Belichick. The important thing is in this game, he was pretty clean. He he didn't take a lot of sacks. He Took didn't. One. He took one sack in this game. He could have thrown some interceptions. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's talk some, about the one sack he took too. He got some calls. The one sack he took was uh, a, a benefit to the Chiefs in the exact opposite way of the Titans playoff game that we don't like to talk about because yeah, Jeff he Triplett. was the the game was called or the play was called. Mahomes was in the grasp and the ball came loose and the Patriots started to run with it and they ended up not only not calling it. I mean, it, it never hit the ground. The ball never hit the ground. So it was either going to be a fumble or a pick depending on your interpretation, uh, except for that they blew him down. And while Bill Belichick was arguing with the ref about, can I, can I challenge, you know, I know you blew him down in the grasp and all that stuff. The the chiefs just went out there and ripped a punt. They were just like, (laughs) it was like a 10 second play clock and they had punted that ball before the CBS crew even got back to showing the live action because they were still talking about the previous play. And I thought that was uh, great coaching by Andy and I'm sure Tobe had something to do with the punt crew getting out there so quickly, but um, that was the, the sack fumble that never, that was never called. And then, I mean, Pat threw two extremely interceptable balls, one in the first, like the first drive of the game that Devin McCourty had two hands on and, and comes down with that ball 99 times out of a hundred. And then another that he threw into some traffic that Tyreek almost caught, but almost there were, there were about three Patriots in the area too. And I think they were, a little miscommunication about who could have got it, but the chiefs dodged a thousand bullets in this game. Um, the, between the offensive stuff that wasn't, that didn't happen poorly that could have, and the two Hoyer red zone plays. I mean, it, it could have been an entirely different game, but fortunately um, it was not. You know, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about with the offense in this game was the running on second and long. We have to talk about it because <laughs> it's been a thing for weeks now it's like it's like andy got this shiny new toy and clyde edwards hilaire that like can pick up first downs on second Mm -hmm. and long occasionally and so he's like well i mean if i got a running back that can pick up a first down on second and long might as well just run on every second long you you pulled some numbers on this so i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you give us our listeners a rundown here i don't actually think that the chiefs are running more on second and long. And in fact, the numbers back this up. It just feels like it. I chose second and eight or more yards. Felt like that was a pretty good indicator of long. Maybe they've run it several times on seven or six or something, but second and eight plus is what I ran. So in the first game of the year, they had one rush on second and eight plus. In the second game of the year against the Chargers, one run. In the third game against the Ravens, three runs. And against the Patriots, three runs. So the Chiefs averaged 
two attempts, two rushing attempts per game this year on second and eight or more. Last year, the Chiefs averaged two and three quarters rushes per game, 2.75 rushes per game in that same scenario. So they're actually running a fewer number of times per game in that scenario. Uh, The Chiefs do average the fewest yards per rush on these in the NFL at two yards per rush. So when they do it, they have not been successful in any way. Um, But their, their eight rush attempts through the first four weeks is also the lowest in the NFL. So and now some of that could also come because the Chiefs aren't in long yardage right. situations a lot. We're not um, the Raiders, bro. <laughs> exactly. So Denver has run the ball 20 times so far this year on second and eight plus, And they've got oh. three first downs on those runs. Ugh. Indianapolis, 18 rushes, one first down. So there are certainly some fan bases out there that could be bitching about don't, you know, stop handing the ball off on second and long. But I, the run rate that the Chiefs have – is 21% this season on opportunities on second and eight that they run Um, that, you know, the NFL is averaging 30 this year, 30% on those cases. And last season, the chiefs were 26.7%. They're down to 21% this year. So they're not actually doing it more, but I think we're noticing it more. I think that it's something that when it fails this year so far at two yards a rush, it's failed spectacularly. It's been a, it's been a blown up run and you're now facing third and long every single time. And if the chiefs have been ripping off six or seven yards on second and eight, we wouldn't be sitting there going, damn, they, they just don't know what they're doing. I mean, so I I do think part of that is the average rush. um, But I don't think that they're selecting those runs. And in fact, it doesn't appear that they're selecting them any more often, but it's frustrating. It's certainly frustrating because running is inefficient and when you have the best quarterback in the league on second and eight you don't really want to see a run ever but yeah I I mean the reason we notice it is because every time that Patrick Mahomes isn't throwing the ball and something amazing doesn't happen we're pissed (laughs) because yeah it's Patrick Mahomes I will say and I just do want to close it out with this I do think I think what you're saying about that is spot on and I will say, I just saw a, a timely tweet that popped into my timeline. Ben uh, Baldwin, uh, one of our favorite analytics guys to follow, just popped this into my timeline. So the uh, NFL NFL calculated uh, expect they have an expected pass model, which essentially says the amount of times over expectation that a team is passing, like you know, given down and distance and game situation and so on and so forth, sure. we would expect them to pass sixty percent of the time or. 40% of the time or whatever. So since Mahomes took over as the starter in 2018, the chiefs rank first, first and third in expected uh, percentage of dropbacks that are a pass over expectation. So in other words, given what we would expect them to pass, they're passing way more than that. And <laughs> well, that's this good. has that's been good true. Time. This has been true ever since Mahomes took over. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. He's the best person at making passes and throwing the ball. And the Chiefs are throwing the ball a lot, which is exactly what they should be doing. It's just that I do think you're right. I think our expectation is such that whenever we hand the ball off and it isn't a first down, we wonder what happened. Like why, 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 why did we do that? Why, why did we not throw? Well, and their conversion rates on throwing are, are so successful too. I mean, it's, it's a combination of not only is running inefficient, but the chief's passing attack is so deadly that like, you just want to, no matter when they've run, you just want them to pass. So the chiefs have also, I did want to note 
have beaten the three defending AFC division champions from last year, the Ravens, Texans, and Patriots, in four weeks by two touchdowns each time, 14, 14, and 16. So, I mean, if if anyone's out there wondering who the best team in at least the AFC is, uh, they're idiots. It's the Chiefs. It is the Chiefs, Taylor, and that'll put that'll put a cap on our Patriots recap. So what we're going to do now is we're going to jump into a little bit of news just briefly. This is a Wednesday podcast, and I can imagine there's going to be a ton of news between now and Friday when this podcast drops and between Friday and Sunday when we're supposed to play a football game. But just to briefly recap, after this game, Stephon Gilmore, Patriots cornerback, came over and gave Patrick Mahomes a big hug after Patrick Mahomes dominated him again. And I'm starting to wonder if that was deliberate. (laughs) If he knew. Today, Wednesday, Stephon Gilmore tested positive for COVID-19. He's quarantining. So far, as of today, there have been no other Patriots to test positive other than Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore. And you can't forget their – no, no, no. Their their practice squad defensive lineman named Bill Murray, who also tested positive. Oh, I, I, I had not seen the news about Bill Murray. I Bill hope he Murray recovers quickly. He's a, he's, he's a, a favorite legend. of mine. Loved him in Ghostbusters. Absolutely. Groundhog uh, Day, my personal favorite. Right. Sure. Well, we could, we could debate Bill Murray in movies all day, but <laughs> he's great. He's a legend. Best wishes to him. Bill Murray practice squatter for the Patriots. So we're going to obviously keep an eye on what happens there. The Chiefs did return all negative tests since the game happened. We know that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the clear. But, you know, the the Vikings played against the Titans yeah. last week. And we're now far enough into the, the Vikings post-game testing process that we would have seen some positives if the Vikings mm-hmm. had picked it up from the Titans. And, and the Vikings had no positives. And the Titans are still testing positives. The Titans are at 11 we're going to talk about the Titans in a second, but mm-hmm. it is good news to know. I mean, that the, the Vikings played a game against the Titans who apparently all had COVID pretty much the entire team when they played that game and they played indoors and none of the Vikings seem to have gotten it. So that's a good sign. I mean, that's, you know, obviously the, the lapse in judgment, which Mahomes already kind of came out and apologized for today for, you know, putting himself in that situation was Devon Gilmore. We're just going to keep our fingers crossed and hope that none of the chiefs test positive because their opponents this week, the Raiders have been in the news. It seems like every week since the season started for, for flouting the NFL's COVID policy, they had, an unauthorized person in their locker room, which you're not allowed to do. They Gruden's been fined like every week for not wearing his mask properly. <laughs> He's wearing it like a total goober. Savages and then, and idiots. And then they had, I believe Darren Waller had a charity event uh, this past week and the Raiders attended it and they were all photographed without wearing masks. Sure. And now Maurice Hurst is positive. The uh, Raiders defensive tackle. He's tested positive for COVID as of today. The Raiders are still practicing and you know, one thing that's a little bit encouraging, Taylor, is that, you know, these teams that that seem to have handled the protocol correctly. And, you know, the Falcons, this barely made the news. The Falcons had a cornerback, A.J. Terrell, test positive in like week two. And he did not play. He quarantined. And everything was fine. And nobody else got it. And we kind of, that wasn't a major story, really, because it, it didn't affect anything. None of the games had to be postponed. You know, we only saw one positive test. And that's how it's supposed to work, is with all the protocols that the NFL has put in place to keep these facilities safe, with all the tracking that they're doing, the contact tracing that they're doing, that's what should be happening. But unfortunately, we learned today that the Titans 
maybe are not following the protocol exactly. Yeah, they um, they're getting in a lot of trouble. There there is some scuttlebutt that they might have to actually forfeit this week five game against the Bills, possibly more games than that. Uh, they were uh, caught practicing at a local school when they were told not to be around each other, not to go to team facilities, not to do all that stuff. Ryan Tannehill was there. So it wasn't just a couple guys. I mean, it was the offense. It was, I'm sure the defense was there too. Um, So this is a, this is a bad look. It's a bad look for the Titans. Um, It's certainly not a good situation for the NFL. If they want to have any credibility here, they're going to have to come down on the Titans. There's no other way around it. You cannot have teams, especially go out and break the protocols and then be testing positive. I mean, they, they got caught, you know, like it'd be one thing if they went out and they all practiced and then nobody else was positive and they came back and everything was fine. But I mean, their, their hands are in the cookie jar right now. And uh, I just don't know what punishment is appropriate here. I know a lot of people have debated about, well, if you just make them forfeit against the bills, that gives the bills a win without making them play a game. They get rest, all that stuff. I mean, I, I get that. It's not fair. Yeah, they get a second bye week. They get a second bye week, and but a we'll win. win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, mean, and rest before they play the Chiefs on Thursday night football. I mean, the whole, the whole thing would uh, not be great, especially from the Chiefs' perspective. But at the end of the day, me personally, I don't think that the Titans should be allowed to, to be able to win that game. I think what they should do is make them play, but – no matter what the final score is, the Titans take a loss. I think that would be better than oh, that's uh, interesting. Better yeah. than a forfeit because they can field a roster. They can field a fifty-three man roster or at least a, a active game day active roster. Yeah, and, and they should just have to play. But the league should just tell them you can't win this game. It's going to be I. They also they're, shouldn't tell them that that's going to happen until after the game. Because if like, they, they lose anyway, they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, you had a shot. And then yeah, if they you, win, you they're lost. like, yeah, we, yeah, we're never going to let you strip them of the win after they play the game. Like, they should just come <laughs> in, good. you know, they, like, kick a game-winning field goal or whatever. You know, they, they're undefeated. Yeah, right. They knock off the undefeated <laughs> Bills. And then Roger Goodell, like, swoops in in a helicopter, and he's like, I'll just take this dub. Thank Not you. Not so Whoop. fast, Mr. Vrabel. Yeah, it'd be, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'd be fun for sure. I did also see – um, I wish I remember which Twitter user said it, but someone suggested to give them a win for the purposes of draft position, but a loss for the purposes of playoff position. Oh, I like that. That's great. I like that a lot. It's a double because if they, you know, if they lose and then they end up losing a bunch of games and getting a high draft pick, like at least you want them to. Yeah. So I, I liked that idea of a win for the draft, but a loss for the standings. Pretty cool. We're going to be obviously keeping tabs on this. It's something that we absolutely will be talking about next Wednesday. Who knows what's going to happen this weekend, Taylor? Just fingers crossed the Chiefs get this game in. We will preview the Raiders game at the end. But first, Taylor, we're going to return to uh, something that we did frequently in this long offseason to help us fill time and get back to actual football being played. And that's a mailbag segment. So we did get some mailbag questions from our loyal listeners. We're going to kick it off with our man, Zach Albers at MO real estate broker guy. So he's got his profession right there in the name in honor of the hashtag stick to sports crowd and our dystopian future slash present. Let's be honest, Zach. (laughs) Here's a mailbag question. What NFL head coaching staff or what NFL coaching staff would make the best and worst dictatorship for the U S Taylor, what are your thoughts on this? So I have many thoughts. Um, Number one, best dictatorship. I don't know if that necessarily means like the most productive or the most utopian, you know, like I, I would say maybe the what's 
best for the group in as far as their future. And I, that's where, that's the direction I'm going with it. Greatest, I, the greatest number. So, so I honestly feel that Bill Belichick would make both the best and the worst dictatorship. Okay. I, I think he's got great cases for both. So best is obviously what the success of the Patriots has been over the last 20 years, which is probably the best success of any professional sports team in American history. And he has been absolutely the only architect behind that entire process and has a clear design in his mind of how an organization should be run and, and for, for good or for ill for breaking rules or, or skirting them or getting away with it. However, he's gotten away with what he's done. It's worked. And they won six championships and went to three more Super Bowls. And so I do think that on the basis of success, if we wanted to say who the, who America, what, what coaching staff would make America the most money. Yeah. Who's going to make America great again. Yeah. (laughs) It's I'm surprised you didn't barf when you said that it is Bill Belichick. Um, But then my other answer for the worst dictatorship is also Bill Belichick because he sucks the life out of the team and he makes everybody robots and he makes them all not answer questions and, and he cheats and he's just very sneaky and, and wrong. And and despite the success, I'm not sure if that's the America that would be the best. So I'm going to answer for both best and worst Bill Belichick. This is a, this is an interesting philosophical question because you know, what, what makes the dictatorship best? What makes it worst? You know, dictators are defined by the amount of power that they are able to draw unto them and hold unto them. And so I would say, you know, in terms of like the most effective dictator, uh, it can't be the Texans because <laughs> Bill O'Brien was recently ousted. We're, we're going to talk, talk about that. But, but I think I might still go with the Texans because you got to look at the guys in that organization still. So let's start with answer. Romeo Cornell. Okay. Romeo Cornell was the Texans defensive coordinator slash assistant head coach in February they decided after years of fielding a subpar defense that Romeo Cornell was no longer qualified to run their defense. So they stripped him of his defensive coordinator duties, but they left him with his assistant head coaching duties. Mm -hmm. And now that Bill O'Brien has been ousted, he's the head coach of the Texans. So they decided, you know what? He's not good enough to run our defense, <laughs> but he is good enough to run the entire team if we fire our head coach. Oh okay. my God. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But kudos to Romeo for holding on to that power long enough to retain it. And that brings us to part B of the Texans being this answer, and that's Jack Easterby. Who? Taylor, Jack Easterby who? is now the Texans' general manager. This is a man who doesn't even own a Wikipedia page. If you, <laughs> what? If you Google Jack Easterby, no. it'll say Wikipedia and it'll have a description like you would think, like Jack yeah, Easterby right is here. the head of player. Click on it, Taylor. Okay, it. so it says de- character development coach Wikipedia, and I clicked on <laughs> and the, the page is blank. <laughs> it's there's, blank. No one, there's nothing here. It's not a real page. It There is no Jack Easterby in HR. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jack! 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 <laughs> Jack Easterby was a team pastor, I think even for the Chiefs maybe, but he certainly started off with the with the Patriots. He actually was a, uh, with the Chiefs under Scott Pioli as like a, a character guy. And that tells you all you need to know about Jack Easterby, that he was like a character guy for Scott Pioli. Like what? A character what? guy. But then 
he was a team pastor and then became like a character coach for the Patriots. And he backstabbed his way to the top. You know, like you never <laughs> see it coming from a man of the cloth, Taylor. No. But he like backstabbed, he consolidated power to himself. And eventually he backstabbed his way out of New England, right? Forced his way into the Texans organization. And Bill O'Brien was like the ultimate dictator, right? Like he was the, the head coach and the GM, okay? Like he had all the power in this organization, the ultimate NFL dictator. And he was brought low by Jack Easterby, the mm. former team pastor who stabbed him in the back. And now this guy who has, frankly, Taylor, I don't think, now it's impossible to verify this because <laughs> there's no Wikipedia, <laughs> but I don't think this guy has any player development experience at all. And now he's the general manager of an NFL team. That oh is incredible. God, that is horrible. It sounds like you need to write the Jack Easterby Wikipedia page. I probably do. I, I need to, that's, that probably would require more time than I have, but I would be fascinated to read the story of Jack Easterby. He would be, I mean, he would be like, you know, he, that, that's what house of cards, that's what it's really about. That's nice. the Jack Easterby story. Right. Like uh, as far as, as best, best, worst, I'm just going to say like that whole Houston Texans dynamic, that's like straight out of ancient Rome. We've got yep. like Julius Caesar stuff going on here, you know, dictators seizing power and then getting assassinated and stabbed in the back. It's incredible. So shout out to the Houston Texans. <laughs> We've got one here from Randy Darsh at Randy Darsh 350 question. Can someone hurry up and poach Dave Tobe away from us already? Uh, unfortunately, Randy, I don't think Dave Tobe is going anywhere. Uh, he, he, I think he had his time. He had his time and he, I want to say he maybe got an interview or two like way back in the early days of the Andy Reid tenure. And then the shine's kind of off. I will say in defense of Dave Tobe, I, the special teams have been really bad so far this year. I, I put out a great meme yesterday that I'm going to promote on the podcast. You know, that, that meme of the three dragons, you oh, know, yeah. there's like two of them looking sinister and then one of them it's looks from a Rick and Morty episode. It's great. It's great. Uh, that's the chiefs offense and defense are like the sinister badass looking dragons and the special teams is the goofy, <laughs> stupid dragon that doesn't know what's going on right now. <clears throat> I, I mentioned earlier, special teams, 32nd and DVOA. I will say the chiefs started slow on special teams by DVOA last year as well. And they still ended up finishing top 10. I want to say they finished around eighth. They have been top 10 every year under Dave Tobe since 2013, which is incredible because special yeah. teams is an extremely volatile unit. They don't play a lot of snaps relative to offense and defense. You know, one big play, like, for example, the first return touchdown the Chiefs have ever allowed. Ugh, with Dave Tobin, the since 2010. Since 2010. And, I mean, the entire time Dave Tobin has been the special teams coordinator here in Kansas City since 2013. Not allowed a single return touchdown, punt or kick return touchdown. As of right now, in 2020, they're the only team to allow one. That's obviously influencing it a little bit, as well as Butker's inability, inexplicably, to, to hit extra points consistently, which is very strange. Can but you believe I think that stat I brought, up, that I brought up with Sam last week, that the last 10 special team scores in Chiefs games were by the Chiefs? Uh, it's crazy. Isn't that, that was insane? So not only have they been great at preventing them, but they have obviously scored their fair share as well. Um, I do want to shout out our boy Tommy Townsend real quick. That yeah. kid bombs punts. I mean, I was a huge Colquitt fan. I was very sad to see him go. I thought he was an excellent punter. Uh, I haven't checked in on how he's been doing in Pittsburgh this year. But I don't miss him a lot when the Chiefs go to punt the ball because Tommy Townsend's got a leg. I mean, that guy was crushing those. So I'm very excited about him. That was a great pick. Um, I don't think that that's been an issue on the special teams. And honestly – 
we know Buck Kicker's amazing. We know he's the second best kicker in the league. He's had some yips with uh, extra points, and other than that, has been extremely money. Um, so I do think that they'll turn around the kicking game. The coverage, yeah, like you said, uh, could use a little bit of work there, but the uh, the long return touchdown, they'll that'll normalize out a bit. They'll probably finish around 15. We got a question from Vitamin J, one of our birds of war. Pod topic, what would be the best situation for EB, Eric Bieniemy, factoring in more than Justice on Watson? So he's asking, essentially, we're, we're kind of all resigned to the fact that Eric Bieniemy, who quietly, by the way, apparently is calling plays this year, like this is something that I, I don't feel like this was this was really hyped, but then just, you know, I'm watching the game. They're like, Oh yeah, Eric the enemy calls the plays now, which, okay, cool. So he's in the headset. He's calling the plays. Obviously the Chiefs' offense has been prolific as it has always been under Patrick Mahomes, you know, week three, we saw a really strong game plan against the Ravens really well called game. We're kind of just resigned to the fact at this point, Taylor, that Eric Bianami, after two years of being deserving to be an NFL head coach probably is finally going to get it this year. I sure hope so. So what is the best situation for him? Obviously, Vitamin J was asking about the Texans. And, you know, the Texans have Deshaun Watson. They have some good – they have some good pieces kind of around him. You know, J.J. Watt, although he's aging. Uh, Laramie Tunsil, who they just paid a ton of money to, you know, pretty good left tackle. They have some some decent skill players, I guess. But <laughs> I, I don't think it can be the Texans because the Texans have no draft picks. They don't have a first or second round pick next year. They're 0-4. Miami, oh, geez, by the way. They first round draft picks for a lot. Yeah, for, but Miami know, Miami has their first and second round picks. They do. They do. And those are going to be good picks. 0-4. Yeah. They're salivating there. So, yeah. I mean, some other organizations that are probably going to have vacancies, uh, the Jets are for sure going to have a vacancy. Yeah. That's obviously a terrible a terrible job right (laughs) i really hope the jets hire bill o'brien but but the jets probably are going to end up with the number one overall pick i would be shocked if the jets ended up anywhere other than number one they're terrible and adam gase is terrible and they're not going to win any games this year you know they might end up with the number one overall pick and they have some draft capital um they have i think probably a pretty good gm and joe douglas i think eric Bieniemy. you know like let's say they go in and they draft trevor lawrence and eric Bieniemy comes in with darnold and they trade Darnold for, you know, a second or third round pick or whatever. Ooh, you know, they rose in him? Draft. Yeah, they could rose in him. I mean, he's had, you know, this is his third year. I mean, obviously, he's played with terrible teams. It's hard to evaluate him. But I feel like that could be a who's sneaky this, a sneaky the good second situation. best Jet? After I, assuming Darnold is number was, one, which I, he might I, not be. I can't even, the only other Jet that I can even, Jamison Crowder is probably the second best <laughs> It's jet. Braxton Berrios. No, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's their, their, their lack of talent is stunning. It's incredible. I, it's I incredible. literally can't believe it when I watch them play. Um, I don't think that the Jets are a good spot for EB. I, I just well, think I, that, I mean, you know, they're not. I think that New York these spots and – spots for and, anybody. I just don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, the hardest thing to find in the NFL is a franchise quarterback. And you can kind of figure it out from there. I know the Texans didn't figure it out from there after they got to Sean Watson, but they Correct. were pretty they close. They did win the division. They did, you know, they, they were a good team. They weren't great and they were held back by their head coach, but they certainly would have gotten miles further than they with Deshaun Watson than without him. And I think that EB plus Deshaun, and Will Fuller and David Johnson. I mean, I think that's a pretty good situation. Um, 
a lot of people have been talking about uh, Matt Patricia's job security in Detroit, which obviously should be because because he's probably, I mean, we had our coaching rankings earlier and put him at 31 and Gase was 32 and O'Brien or whoever, any order there, they were all terrible. Um, I think Detroit could be fine. Um, I think the Falcons are probably the best situation if Dan Quinn happens to be shown the door uh, just be based on their talent in Atlanta. I think they've got a pretty decent roster. Um, I would be happy to see Vigo there also because it'd be in the NFC. And I do yeah. think that he would prefer that. Yeah, I think he would too. I mean, we've sent Peterson you know, the last, yeah, the, the last two chiefs offensive coordinators to leave and go coach yeah. another team have both been NFC teams, obviously Matt Nagy with the bears and Doug Peterson with the Eagles. Um, what about Jacksonville? Jacksonville, I feel like, could be interesting. They have a lot of draft capital. They traded Magic away Magic Baby Dockway, and they traded away obviously Jalen Ramsey. They have quite a few first round picks to play around with. Not a whole lot of talent, but you know Minshew has shown enough that maybe he sticks another year, and you see what Eric Bieniemy could do with him. James and then, Robinson and Lavisca Chenault. They got some players. Sure. They've got, they've got some. Uh, they've got some intriguing young players. Not a whole lot of talent right now, but they certainly have a lot of draft capital and you want your, your new head coach to come in and be able to kind of build his system. It's hard to do when you don't have any first or second round picks, uh, which is the the Texan situation. So I don't know, but I just hope that he lands in a good situation. I do hope he lands in the NFC. That would be ideal for us. Sounds we like got one from another one of our birds of war, Brandon 422 championship swagger. My next question for the pod is every cornerback on the Chiefs roster better than Steven Nelson. Uh, so I mean, basically it's Bo P keys for Steve Nelson. Cause the other guys are all yes. Yeah. Right. That's the, and we haven't, we haven't seen Bo P keys is like an incomplete. He hasn't yeah. seen the field. So I just have to assume that he's better than Steven Nelson. Like sure. I've seen Steven Nelson and listen, I know his PFF grade. I, Sam's not here for us to go scrap, give him crap about that. <laughs> I know Steve Nelson's PFF grade was pretty decent. That guy sucks at playing. He's burnt. Right? Toast. Like, he's just, turn around and look at the ball when it's coming towards you, right? Like I just, he had no ball skills whatsoever. I will say the thing about this Chiefs cornerback group right now is that, you know, are they the best group in coverage? Are they going to, you know, not get fooled ever? No, but they're fast and they're very physical and they all have pretty good ball skills. I mean, like you've got playmakers back there and you know, if I'm going to run out of defense with a bunch of like late round draft picks and value free agents at cornerback, give me guys that can run and can make plays on the ball. And, you know, if they get burnt fine, but as long as they're going to gamble, get theirs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As long as they get theirs. And especially when you're talking about a team that has obviously two great safeties on the back end to allow your cornerbacks to play a little bit looser. I, I mean, yeah. B keys probably better than Steven Nelson. Thank you for the question. <laughs> Let's give him. Yeah. Uh, we actually have a question from PKS at Polish shoes fan. Uh, he says another one. We know the running backs don't matter, but what about cornerbacks? Archie's proving scheme is more important or we just got really lucky on our late end draft picks. What do you think? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like I think yeah. the chiefs definitely have, they definitely have out, outshot their coverage a little bit i mean like they've they've overperformed with their the guys that they've drafted i mean the guys that they have on the roster you know obviously bashad Breland was a a value free agent signing Traverius ward was a udfa for a different team that we traded you know parker Erringer for and 
you, you know, I mean, um, Legereus Sneed was a, what a fourth round pick. You know, who uh, was Sneed playing... was a fourth. Rashad Fenton was a sixth. I yeah, think? Rashad Fenton was a sixth. Yep, Fenton was yeah. a sixth. Uh, Bo Keys, I think, was a sixth. Seventh. seventh. Yep. He was. A, we traded up to, yeah, in the seventh not, to get him. He's not on the, the. He's not playing. He's not getting snaps yet. Still, though, not a guys, lot of investment. Yeah, I mean, and last year when they won the Super Bowl, I think they had the lowest amount of salary cap space dedicated to their cornerback group of any team in the NFL. I, I mean, the Chiefs clearly have. They clearly have a scheme that works with their cornerback group. And we just mentioned the safeties. I mean, they, they obviously like they're doing something a little bit differently. They're emphasizing the coverage ability and the versatility of their safeties, you know, to kind of play over the top and just prevent big plays. And it helps having a guy like honey badger, who's extremely experienced and, you know, he's always pointing to his head, reminding us how smart he is, but he is smart. Yes. I mean, he's, he's one of the smartest players in the secondary in the NFL. And so, you know, bringing along, guys like Juan Thornhill and, you know, the cornerbacks. And then obviously he has the versatility to play, you know, slot corner as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, it's both, right? Like we clearly have a scheme that works to the talent that we have, but you, you know, part of it too, is just like the chiefs have a type we mentioned, you know, they're, they're looking for bigger guys who can get their hands on the ball, but also can run. I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of drafting for, um, for athletes a little bit, or at least they, they did in this last draft with Sneed and keys. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of both. He I, had another question for us too. Oh, go ahead. I do want to, I think that part of the success of the cornerback group can also be attributed to the style and effectiveness of the chiefs offense. And that when the chiefs are playing, they're putting up points. So the other team has to play a certain style to, keep up with the chiefs and the chiefs can take some risks because they know that even if the other team gets some, some plays on them and scores that the offense is going to come right back. So I, I think part of that is that the chiefs don't really need to lock down the other team's wide receivers, at least not like you would if you were really relying on a cornerback group, because really no matter what they do out there, the chiefs offense is going to look better than the other team's offense anyway. So if they can just play, adequate cornerback play they're usually going to end up okay and i think that has something to do with their success there we had one final question from pks he writes for the pod do you all enjoy the primetime games for a european fan like me the schedule is just killing me right now with all the games starting past midnight uh i will tell you polish juice fan i've mentioned on the podcast before and part of the reason i was not able to join the podcast last week is because i'm back in court and so it feels like i'm in you know another time zone or another dimension because i'm waking up at four o'clock in the morning to let my puppy out and take her for a walk and tire her out before my wife gets up and then i gotta drive an hour to get to work and then i gotta be in court by eight o'clock and then i gotta work you know like a dog through the end of the day i will tell you the the primetime games you know i really appreciated my ideal pks was this Monday night, five o'clock game. <laughs> and it happened to be a court holiday. So I did not have to work. Yeah. You know, I was able to watch a football game on a weeknight in primetime. And it was done by, you know, eight o'clock mountain time. It's incredible. It was great. That was, that was perfect for me. I also loved, and I'm sure that PKS enjoyed this too. I love the London games, man. I wish we had the London games this year. Yeah. My favorite thing was waking, waking up, up at seven o'clock on uh-huh. Sunday, like I would anyway. Get on and Christmas. Just immediately be able to watch a football game. It was incredible. Yeah. I know some people hated it. I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I think that um, primetime is a lot of fun for the spotlight, which as a Chiefs fan, um, I can never get enough of just watching 
the the national attention on the team. Um, I think that aspect is great. I do think that the three o'clock games are kind of annoying because when I wake up Sunday morning, I'm ready for football. And then I've got to watch three hours of crappy football from crappy football teams before I get to watch the chiefs. And like, it's just not, it's not the same. So that, that three o'clock start, um, not the best for me, but uh, I mean, Sunday night football, Monday night football, love those Thursday night football sucks, but for its own reasons, not because it's in prime time, but because of the weird way that they do the breaks and Thursday night football is always a slop fest. And eh. I, yeah, I can matchups are always just and, terrible. And the idea that's been floating around a lot has been a double header on Mondays and forgetting Thursdays. And I personally think that's a great idea and I would be all about it, but um, doubt it'll happen because it seems like they make more money dominating every you know, four out of seven days. So we appreciate the questions from all of our peeps in the mailbag. We do have a discord server. We'll plug that. If you guys want information on how to join our discord server, if you're not familiar with what discord is, it's the, you know, hot chat slash gaming, whatever chat app. It's great. Uh, We have a whole, we have a whole, you know, group where all of our fans can come and hang out and I pop in there when I'm not working, which is crazy right now, but uh, hopefully that'll stabilize a little bit. And Taylor's in there quite a bit. And we're going to try and do voice on game days. Is that correct, Taylor? We're going to try. That and is have correct. A little, we do have a, a voice channel in there, so you can join that and uh, voice chat with. Uh, looks like we're up to 46 members, so you know, good, good handful of Chiefs fans. Um, it's been a fun group so far, and if you're interested, please shoot me a DM on Twitter at Taylor underscore Wit, um, and I will send you the invite link. Um, and it's very you, exclusive. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't want to post the invite link because that can get abused. But it, literally, I have not denied anyone, nor would I. So just send me the DM so I know who you are, and let's let's do it. It's fun. So that brings us, Taylor, to the game preview edition. This will be a short Raiders. one because, let's face it, it's the Raiders. We're going to beat the hell out of them. There's not a whole lot to say about this game, right? Like, there's always a chance that the Raiders – kind of hang around for a little while in the last 12 games that we played against the Raiders. They have won two of them. So, you know, they're doing a little bit better than the chargers Two Thursday night football crap fest. Yeah. Two. They were both one point losses on Thursday night football in Oakland. I mean, they haven't really been very competitive. I, I put Derek Carr's numbers. We've talked about this in the off season when we did our Derek Carr roast. You can go back and check that out. If you want to hear Derek Carr thoroughly roasted for, you know, a full 10 or 15 minutes, his numbers against the chiefs Taylor are abysmal. And I don't care how well he's playing this year. In some ways, this is his best season so far. You know, his play looks better superficially under Gruden. I don't know that he actually is better, but his career numbers against the chiefs, he's two and 10, as I mentioned, Oof. his completion percentage is 59.5%, which I was going to say, I think maybe even in our roast, I called this Josh Allen esque. Josh <laughs> Allen is good now and Derek Carr still sucks. So we're not going to besmirch the good name of Josh Allen by, you know, talking down on Derek Carr's completion percentage like that. 15 touchdowns in 12 games. So, barely over one touchdown a game and 13 picks. So 15 touchdowns, 13 interceptions yards per attempt, 5.7 yards per attempt. So each time he attempts to throw the ball, he's averaging five yards per attempt. His quarterback rating in these games, 74.6, which is terrible. He's averaging 227 yards per game and he's taken 32 sacks in 12 games. 
that's almost three sacks and one pick per game on average. Like that's, he's, he's been awful against the chiefs. And remember Taylor, most of this was against Bob Sutton. Yes. Okay? Yes. Most of this against the worst defensive coordinator in the NFL for the duration of the time he was in Kansas city. <laughs> most of the time he was running against a defense that was completely predictable and that any decent head coach or offensive coordinator or quarterback could exploit yeah. Derek Carr could never do it. He was terrible against us. Yeah, he's only played Honey Badger and Frank Clark two times. So, I mean, get ready for this, DC, because if you're tired of the losing now, you are in for a a long, long rest of your career in Vegas because this is – it's a it's a matchup nightmare for them. I mean, they just can't – they can't beat the Chiefs at any phase of the game right now. And, uh, you know, he had this great kind of cry fest after their last loss. Um, like you do. Like he does, like he does a lot where he was talking about, you know, I'm just sick of the losing and I've seen so much crap here and I'm just sick of it. It's like, bro, you are the reason that you guys are losing. So if you're sick of losing, retire. I mean, he's just, he's just so not good. And the fact that Raiders keep trying to say it's everybody but him, it's always, oh, the offensive line is hurt. No, he doesn't have any weapons and blah, blah, every single year since the, since his start. The fact is, he hasn't won many games because he's not a good starting quarterback. And that's going to be evident on Sunday. The The Raiders might hang around for a little bit longer than you would expect based on this matchup on paper. I think in part because the Chiefs have the Bills game coming up and they're probably going to take things a little bit easier against the Raiders, I would, I would imagine. And they'll still end up putting them away. And they could blast them too. I mean, absolutely. But They blasted uh, them twice last year. Yeah, they blast them every time they play them these to days. 10 and 40 to 9. Oh, 40 I mean, to 9. That was... It just was – you know, I mean, what, what the Raiders – the kind of game that the Raiders play. You know, the Raiders started off 2-0 – they beat the Panthers, who were not very good, and then they beat the Saints, who might and, not be. And very that good. was and that was the big that was the win they wanted to hang their hat on was beating the Saints because obviously the Saints traditionally have been a very good team. Uh, I'm here to tell you the last two weeks have exposed the Raiders for what they really are. You know the the Raiders are two and two, and they they have that win in New Orleans, which credit to them that's probably the best win that they've had under John Gruden yeah. with Derek Carr, right? Like yeah. Derek Carr's record against playoff teams is something like five and 30 or something like that. I don't know exactly what Real it is, bad. but it's bad. I actually might be giving him an extra win. Yeah. He might only have four wins against playoff teams in his career. It's terrible. And we don't even know if New Orleans is going to end up as a playoff team this year. They might not, but they're, the, the Raiders are currently 25th in DVOA. The Chiefs are second behind <sighs> Tampa Bay of all teams, which is kind of interesting. Um, DVOA is a little funky uh, this early in the year, but the Raiders are 25th. Look good. They're, they're 10th in offense. The Chiefs are fourth. They are 30th in defense. Woof. The Chiefs are fifth. So huge mismatches there. And then the Chiefs I mentioned earlier are 32nd in special teams. The Raiders are 22nd. <laughs> so it's not like the Raiders' special teams have been very good. And the difference between the Chiefs and the Raiders is that the Chiefs' special teams – Traditionally, we have a sample going back seven years under Dave Tobe of the Chiefs special teams being good. And the odds of the Chiefs special teams suddenly being amongst the worst in the league are not very good. We have a long track record of them being successful. Conversely, the Raiders have a pretty long track record of having terrible special teams. Yep. And they are, in fact, terrible again this year. Charger-esque. They just, 
quite as terrible as the Chiefs have been through four weeks. So like you mentioned, I mean, this is a mismatch in all three phases. The Chiefs are better on offense. They're better on defense. They're probably going to be better on special teams. They have a better coach. They have a better quarterback. It's a division game. Anything can happen. And the, the brand of football the Raiders play lends itself to games being close because they grind it out, you know, like it's it's three yards in a cloud of dust, three yards, three yards, three yards, go for it on fourth and the fourth and one, pick it up. You know, they're limiting turnovers pretty well. You know, like they're they're just a very conservative, boring, bland style of play. They're limiting the number of possessions. So, you know, this game could look closer than it actually is because it just is, you know, it, it, each team gets the ball seven times. And, you know, maybe the Raiders luck into a couple of touchdowns late and the Chiefs can only score, you know, it just like week two last year when the Chiefs went to Oakland, Yep. they they scored 28 in that game. They didn't get a whole lot of possessions. They did all their scoring in one quarter. Yeah. They still blew the Raiders out. But that's the kind of the game that the Raiders want to play is just limit the possessions, grind out the football, win the time of possession. And, you know, they can do that, but it's probably not going to win them this football game. No, the Chiefs are still going to find a way like they always have. And like they have in every game that healthy Pat Mahomes has played since the 2018 AFC championship game. I mean, they just, they, they're just winners. And this is going to be another case of that. The Chiefs are going to move to five and zero, oh, and uh, they're going to be extend their away. winning streak to 14 games, extend which their winning streak, tie a franchise record. I believe 14 games. Is uh, the- they already have the, the franchise they, 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 they set it at 12. The Chiefs did. So they're, or at least that was the, maybe this is one of those including or not including playoff. Yes, I think it is. And this is probably the regular season stretch. Okay, okay. So either way, they are winning at a rate that, um, you know, not a lot of franchises get to. And uh, I don't see any roadblocks coming up. I don't even think they're going to lose the Bills game. We'll talk about that next week, obviously. But um, I think this team's rolling. What's your prediction, Taylor? I'm going to go a little bit, Closer than you than people would think. I'm going to say 26 13. I'm going to say the Chiefs win this one going away. I'm going to predict 35 for the Chiefs, and I'm going to go with 17 for the Raiders. 35 to 17. Chiefs win this one big. We'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.